So the book of Numbers this morning, and would you turn with me to chapter 27, and I'd like to begin reading with verse 15. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 15. You remember earlier on in this book, in this chapter, I should say, in this chapter we noticed that there was some young ladies that recognized the fact that they probably would not be inheriting in the land, and they brought that to Moses, and Moses brought it to God, and God came back and said, this is what I want to be done. Well, it's interesting, we're going to meet those young ladies again in the last chapter of this book, but until we get there. But now we have in this passage of scripture, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, now Moses has just been told, you're not going into the promised land. You rebelled against me. I asked you the first time to strike the rock, and you did. I asked you the second time to speak to the rock, and you didn't. You struck it twice. Now, God was merciful and still gave them water out of that rock. But we recognize the fact that Moses could not lead the children of Israel into the promised land as a type and a shadow because he represented the law. And you and I do not want the law representing us before God. It is only a condemnation. It is only uh, fearful. And we find the grace of God is what brings us to Christ. It is the uh, goodness of God that brings us to Christ. So Moses is told, you're not going to be taking them in. And now we find Moses comes up and says, Lord, please, please, please appoint someone to take these people into the land so that they will not be like a group of sheep without a shepherd. It tells us there in verse 15, And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may lead them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay hands upon him. And set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. <coughs> Excuse me. Thou shalt put some of the, thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him before the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At this, his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel, with him even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua, and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him, and gave him a charge, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. We, we find that Joshua, in our studies, is no stranger to us. We find that he has been uh, mentioned a number of times throughout the Old Testament as we've been reading. And if you would turn with me to the book of uh, Exodus chapter 17. Let's turn over there as we find that we remember this great work of Joshua. He's been called of God a number of times to do what might be extraordinary. And here in the book of Numbers chapter 17, the scriptures share with us this very important passage of scripture it says here, And all the congregation of the children of Israel 
journeyed from the wilderness of Zion after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord, and they complained about having no water. <laughs> That's essentially what we have. Well, after the Lord gave them water from the rock, it tells us there in verse 9, and Moses, uh, uh, verse 8, and then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rephidim. We've just had this wonderful blessing, water from the rock, and we are attacked from the outside by these from Amalek. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. What an issue. What a, a picture we have here. How impossible it is for us to continuously keep our hands up in the air. The fight is the Lord's. It's not our fight. And we find that as he got tired and dropped his hands, oh my goodness, the battle went in, the, in, the, in favor of the Amalekites. Well, God gave a solution. He gave him two men to hold his arms up. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that God provides us with encouragement? And here we find that as, as Moses' hands were heavy and he took a stone and put under him and sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, and one on one side, and the other on the other side, and the hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now look at verse 13. Joshua, this one that has just been appointed to lead the children of Israel into the land that God had promised them. This Joshua, whose name means salvation is of Jehovah. This Joshua, who we find the Lord Jesus Christ, has the same name in Greek that he had in the Hebrew. This Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed the Amalekites, just as God said for him to do. We have, again, that uh, Joshua is brought to our attention in the book of Exodus chapter 24. Would you turn there with me? In Exodus chapter 24, we have this word of encouragement that we find that Joshua is called the minister of Moses. Joshua is mentioned here in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 13. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua and Moses went up into the mount of God. He is a minister. Now, we're going to find out that when we get to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus shares with us that he think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. The Lord Jesus Christ in his great work of grace on our behalf, did not come to destroy it, but he came to fulfill it, which means that that law has been placed upon him. He took it and he fulfilled it completely, and it's not chargeable against God's people. The law will not raise its angry head up against God's people. There is nothing that God's people are going to do that will uh, uh, eradicate this great pleasure that God has put upon us, and that is his grace. So Joshua became a minister of the Lord, and you know, it was Joshua that noticed on that mount. When Moses was up there, Joshua was partway up there, it was Joshua that noticed the problem with the children of Israel first when they started dancing around the golden calf. You know, as we think about Joshua, we find that there was someone that knew the problem long before the law was ever given. 
there's someone, and we know him as the, uh, the uh, son of God before the foundation of the world. He was set up in the covenant of grace to take care of the problem that hadn't even been issued yet. Adam hadn't been born. The directions hadn't been given to Adam. But we find that the Lord is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the one that knew the problem before there was a problem. And so we find the laws upon the mount and Joshua is the minister of Moses and he's the one that heard the problem down there among the children of Israel. And we find the rest of the fact that took off. Joshua was the one that moved in great issue down there and came into the camp. It tells us there in Exodus chapter 32. Would you notice there? Exodus chapter 32 and verse 17. The word says, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. It hadn't got to Moses' attention. You know, there was a problem before there was a law. There was a problem in Eden before God ever gave the law to Moses. And so we have a problem, and we have someone who already is acquainted with the problem. You know, when we think about the law, someone was mentioning to me the other day about that good Samaritan. There's two people there that wouldn't even go over and be friendly to that man that was beat up and left for half dead. Uh, they, he, they should have been friendly with him. You know, when we get to the law, they couldn't be. They could not touch. They could not be around this kind of folk. The, the Levite and the priest could not be in that situation, which shares us with a great deal about the law. The law's not going to help us. We need the God-man. We need the Savior. We need Jehovah, the Jireh, the one that would fulfill all our needs. We find him as pictured in the Samaritan coming and taking care that man contributed not one thing but his illness. There was nothing that he contributed. The good Samaritan took care of all the issue. Well, we find out as we follow through with the life of, of uh, Joshua, he's a wonderful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all that he had to do. He is one of those in Numbers chapter 8. Would you turn there with me? or excuse me, Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, he's brought up again. And in this instance, it tells us here in Numbers chapter, he is one of the members that's going to go in to spy out the land. God has purposed that there will be 12 men set aside, one representing every tribe. And it's sort of what we heard there this morning in the book of Jude. These men were ordained to go into that land and spy it out. And it tells us here in the book of, of Numbers chapter 13 and verse 8 that the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. And in chapter the same chapter, verse 16, these are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. As we follow this out in chapter 14 of this book, there's something about Joshua that, and Caleb that the other ten didn't have. In Joshua, or excuse me, Numbers chapter 14, we follow this uh, out just a little bit. In verse 6, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched out the land, rent their clothes. 
And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. You know, we find that as the Lord even sends us today to spy out the land. You know, we're doing that everywhere we're going. We're called on to spy out the land. And here we find the example that God gives us concerning those who know something about God. They cannot lie about God. Now those ten people came back and they told great lies about God. What did they say? God cannot do what he promised. This land has been promised to Israel, but he can't deliver it to us. And they came back and lied about God. Now, Joshua and Caleb may not have understood at the time how God was going to deliver the land, but they understood that God would deliver the land, and that is 99.9% .9 of the battle, that God is able to do what he said he would do, and that is he would deliver this land. When we are asked to do similar things as this, we may not know how God is going to perform this, but it does not give us any in inclination to say, I don't believe God can. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you could. If you would, Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, we have this passage of Scripture that shares with us that sometimes we just do not know. Most of the time. We maybe all the time. <laughs> we just don't know how God's going to do His business. You know, as I talk to this young man, Stephen, I don't know whether... He does have an interest. I like it when people have an interest in the gospel. But I don't know the outcome. I've been visiting with a young preacher for three years now. I don't know the outcome. I have no idea. He's told me twice that, Norm, if what you say is right, I am lost and I'm a false prophet. And I, I shared that with a preacher friend of mine. He says, when he says God said that, then he'll understand it. But right now, it's just you and a discussion with, about the Bible. But to step that line, if you're right, Norm, I'm, a, I'm lost and I'm a false prophet. Well, here in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, we read these words beginning with verse 23. Chapter 19 of the book, Then said Jesus unto the disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's, I believe this is more about self-riches self-righteousness, self, self, instead of having uh, uh, some money. But it says, how hardly. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Have you ever read that book that tells you how a camel can go through that door, or that gate in the walls of Jerusalem? Uh, you take a whole bundle off and he gets down on his knees and he can crawl through. You know what? The rest of the scripture is just denied when you put that picture because the scriptures go on to say, with man it is impossible. It is as easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle and at this needle, it's the sewing needle, that's the needle he's talking about, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with man this is impossible. You know, I can feel with Joshua and Caleb coming back 
out of the, looking at and spying over that land, they came back and said, you know, I don't know how this is going to happen, but God has promised that it's going to happen. And that's the report that they brought back. They brought back a good report, a good report about God, their God. Now, those others came back with a report about their God. He can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb came back with a report about their God and says, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When it comes to salvation, I don't know how God can do this. But we find in the scriptures, with God, all things are possible. He is able to save where it looks like they're unsavable. I can just imagine the feelings of the church at Jerusalem when they had that rascal a Saul of Tarsus going around says, there's no way in this world that man will ever be saved. He's just too bad. Well, you know what? Saul of Tarsus later said that about himself. I am the chiefest of sinners. And I'm come to the conclusion that everyone that knows Christ is going to say that about themselves. They will never elevate themselves. They, we will all be the chiefest of sinners. That's what Job said about himself, that's what Isaiah said about himself, that's what Peter said about himself, and that's what Paul said about himself. So, Jesus beheld him. Oh, every spy and trip were sent out to come back with some report. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Remember what Mary said when she's told she's going to have a baby? Mary, the mother of Jesus? <laughs> How can this be? And then she finally said, be it unto me according to thy word. She came back with a good report because she knew something about the God of good reports. So as we follow those spies out, we find that 10 of them came back with a report about their God. He is not able. He can't do it. We're just stuck here. And we find that two came back. Well, we find if you'll turn back with me to the book of Numbers, book of Numbers chapter 14. We find the reason for this. Why could they? Uh, we heard this morning about those who came out of Egypt. Most of them died in the wilderness. And the word is used there in unbelief. They had no concept about God. Well, you can't dig it out. You can't study enough to come to the conclusion about it. We may say the things that the Bible says, but we'll not be convinced about it until we're born again, and then we cannot be unconvinced about it. It is part of us. So Numbers chapter 14. Would you join me there in the book of Numbers chapter 14 again? And there in verse 24, we have God speaking about this, and he said, But my servant Caleb, now he's the other counterpart, because he had another spirit with him. You know, we're born with a dead and trespasses and in sin spirit. And that's what those ten tribes representatives came back with. That's what they represented. A people that are dead and trespasses and sin cannot see the blessings of Almighty God in his great salvation. People may discuss grace. You know, I've shared this before. After the Lord saved me, I drove by a church and the name of it was Grace Memorial Baptist Church. And I said, I've got to find out what these people believe because I'm not accepted in where I've been. They fired me. So I called them up and I said, would you tell me what it means? Your name has Grace Memorial Baptist Church. 
And they said, well, of course I can tell you. We had a dear lady in our church by the name of Grace, and she left us a lot of money, so that's why we named it Grace Memorial Baptist Church. I said, thank you very much. At least they were honest about it. And you know, that's generally what grace means to most people, is nothing. It means nothing. It means that I'm going to contribute something to grace. Well, once the Lord saves you, and you know what sovereign grace is. It was grace given to us by Almighty God. There is no going back. You cannot go back. You cannot go back to the swill. You have to always, and it may be uncomfortable, and it may be unpleasant, and it may have people tell you that you're not right, and there's no way in this world that I could believe that. You know what? That's true. There's no way in this world. But when God comes, he can convince us beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 14 and verse 24, But my servant, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Here is one of those that came out of Egypt, went through 40 years of, well, he's going to go through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and he has a compatriot, a friend by the name of Joshua. If you'll look with me in chapter 14 and there in verse 30, it says, And doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. The rest of you that are under this age or over this age are going to pass away in the wilderness. You know the first thing they did is got religious. When God passed judgment on them, the first thing they did was got religious and said, we're going to go in. Hallelujah. We see the light. We're going to go in. And Joshua and Caleb and Moses says, don't go in because the Lord is not with you. They went in and were greatly defeated and came back with their tails between their legs, and they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years until that generation passed away. All of the events that took place during that time. Now turn with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. You know, it used to bother me. Why? Why? What? What is this that they, they can't see? What is it about that that they can't hear? What is this about that? And even in the Old Testament, we find in the book of John a number of places why people can't come. They're not drawn. They're not brought. They're not led. They're not drawn by the Spirit of God. Well, here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, we find this, these words. These are the words. Verse 1 of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant that he made with them in Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and unto all his servants and unto all his land, and great temptations that which thine eyes have seen, the signs, and thou hast mir and seen those great miracles. Verse 4. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to hear and ears to uh, eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day what's the problem the lord has not given you a heart now thank god for those two that the heart was given to them they had a different spirit about them they had a spirit of grace they had a spirit that god is able to do what he said he will do they had a a a, a belief that god is high and lifted up 
that he's holy, he's righteous in all his works, and he is the only one that can take a sinner and change them, save them. Works cannot do that. Joshua and Caleb, for they wholly followed the Lord. How in the world can someone be said that they wholly, completely, without reservation, followed the Lord? You know, I, I love reading the Old Testament. As you know, most of my ministry has been in the Old Testament. But I love reading in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 about those guys over in the Old Testament. Do you know what? When we get to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we don't find any of their wrinkles. We don't find any of their pimples. We don't find any of their sin. We don't find that they were like you and I are. We find under the blood of Christ, under the mercy seat, they were perfect in the eyes of God. They had faith. We read over there that Abraham's wife laughed about hearing she's going to have a baby. Over in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith she believed it. The blood of Christ, what it does for us, it takes away all of that pitifulness that we had. It takes away all the fear that we had. We may go through this life, have those days of, of uh, doubt and those days of uh, what is God doing, and yet under the blood, I will present them spotless, without wrinkle. They will be mine. I will present them whole before my throne. We have it because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, that God would give us his righteousness in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He is righteous, and his righteousness is given to his children. When we are born again, we are given of that great robe. Now, it's not something we can physically see, and nobody else can see it, but God sees it. He sees we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to us. Our sin was imputed to Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. And we have what we could never have on our own. We're given the greatest gift of all, and that is the righteousness of Christ. And in that, we are justified. We are made whole. We are without sin, without spot, and without wrinkle. We are going to be able to be presented to the throne room of God in such completeness that we can't even imagine that we would come before him without sin is something I cannot imagine because I am so permeated with it. You know, when the Lord saved me, he never did anything for this flesh. That promise is coming. But he gave me Christ, the indwelling of Christ, my hope of glory. All right, Joshua and Caleb, for they wholly followed the Lord. They had the imputed righteousness of Christ and in the book of Deuteronomy, would you turn there with me? Back in the book of Deuteronomy, we've just there in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 22. This whole chapter is just full. But this, well, let's read verses 21 and 22 here. And I commanded Joshua at that time saying, How the Lord instructed this great preacher of righteousness. Gave him the words, grace, preach grace, preach sovereign grace, preach grace that comes from God. We cannot do this on our own. 
we can't lift our finger on our own. He goes on to say, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whether uh, thou passest. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. The, the battle's the Lord's. You know, I read over there in the book of Revelation that they, they overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. They didn't overcome him. I hear people, I, I threw off a demon. I may not say it, but I say it in my heart, you're a liar. I find in the book of Luke there, the fourth chapter, that a man was filled with the demon. He, went, he was even religious. He went down to the synagogue, but he couldn't do a thing about this problem he had. Christ took care of it all. All right, let's go on here. The Lord your God shall fight for you. Chapter 31 of the book of, uh, he told that to Joshua, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, and verses 1 through 4. Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. I'm 120 years old. I can no more go out and come in. Now, it's not because he's frail, because we find out when he was buried. His eyes were still good. His strength hadn't abated. But he understands my time is short because the Lord said, you're not going in. As a representative of the law, I believe Moses understood that. There could be no one lead the children of Israel into the promised land that was the law. Now, we could have someone lead us in that is of grace, and that's Joshua. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord is the Savior. I go not more go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, Thou shalt not go over Jordan. And the Lord... Thy God will, he will, go over before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did to Sihon, and unto all kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed." As we follow this, we find that as Joshua is given his commission and as Joshua is blessed, everything that God tells him, Joshua says, yea and amen. It's going to happen just as God purposed it to fall out. There will be deliverance. That land will be ours, not because of our fighting. Now, if we follow this, we've mentioned this a number of times, Almost all the battles that the children of Israel fought in the promised land under Joshua, they went into battle and 100% of the warriors came back home, except at Ai. Now, what kind of record is that? That's a miraculous record that God would deliver every one of his children in such a miraculous way. The Lord spoke unto Joshua. Turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 1. As we find him taking over the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 1 verse 1, the scriptures share this. Now after the death of Moses, now we haven't got quite there in the book of Numbers, but this is, they're in the land 
And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the great river Euphrates, and he describes what the inheritance is. In that same book, drop down to the end of that book, chapter 24, verse 1. After the land has been taken, Joshua gathered all the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, together. And he says in verse 2, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. What a commentary about Abraham. You know what it said about Abraham? The Lord said this about Abraham. Abraham saw my day and was glad. What does that mean? God dealt with him with the new birth and he was glad. Brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, led him. I took your father Abraham from the other side. I gave him Isaac. I gave Isaac Jacob, Esau. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then we just go down through here. You know what? We find out that these pictures, types, and shadows of what Joshua did are just a picture of what we find our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, did. You know, we mentioned his name. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, we have, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, if it was in Hebrew times, Joshua. Greek times, Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. You know why? Because his name means Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. Now, Joshua pictured that. Jesus Christ did that. Shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Joshua had a good word about the Messiah. You know what? That's what God did for Joshua. He had a good word about the Messiah, about God. He believed God. He believed God. He believed God there as he went in, looked around. Can you imagine going through that land and having 10 people complaining about everything they saw? You know, this looks really good, but I don't know. There's giants over there. I just don't know. I don't know about this. You know, you hear that in religion all the time. God's done all he can do. Now the rest is up to you. What a terrible thing to say about Almighty God. God never tried to do anything. He's always done exactly what He said He will do. You know, Jesus often has the title, title mentioned as Messiah, Christ. Joshua set aside. He was anointed. Boy, they called an anointing. Laid hands on Him. Do you know what? Our Savior, the word Jesus means Savior, 
And Christ is a title given to him, which means anointed one. Messiah in the Old Testament. Where was he anointed? In heaven before time. To do the work of the everlasting covenant. You know, I just think for a moment about that conversation that went on. We don't know and we don't have the words of it. But when we compare scripture with scripture, we have a whole lot of it filled in. And when we think about the Savior being anointed and his conversation upon his anointing, that he had promised to come to this earth to do what the covenant of grace demanded and he was pleased to do. Now in the covenant of grace, it was not a two against one vote. Oh, we got three of us here. Now one of us is going to have to go. You know what? The Messiah said, it's me. I volunteer for this duty. In the covenant of grace, it was not a vote against him. All were in agreement. They all had their ministry to perform. And as he was anointed Messiah or Christ, I can almost hear him say these words as at the conclusion of that anointing that he declared and covenanted with his father. Now, these words are not my words. I heard them in a message by Brother Farrell Griswold, who's passed, but he just said it in such a powerful way. My father, on my part, I covenant that in the fullness of time, I will become man. I will take upon myself the form and nature of the fallen race. I will live in their wretched world, and for my people I will keep the law perfectly. I will work out a spotless righteousness, which shall be acceptable to the demands of thy just and holy law. In due time I will bear the sins of all my people. Thou shalt exact their deaths on me, the chastisement of their peace I will endure, and by my stripes they shall be healed." My Father, I covenant and promise that I will be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I will magnify thy law, and I will make it honorable. I will suffer all they ought to have suffered. I will endure the curse of the law, and all the vials of thy wrath shall be emptied and spent upon my head. I will then rise again. I will ascend into heaven. I will intercede for them at thy right hand. I will make myself responsible for every one of them, that not one of those of whom thou hast given me shall ever be lost, and I will bring all my sheep of whom by my blood thou hast con constituted me their shepherd. I will bring every one safe to thee at last. He says, I'm ready to go. I have this to do, and I promise to do it, and guess what? What he promised to do, he carried out, and guess what? He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people. He's not pleading with de the devil, says, oh, well, you know, you got this day, and uh, I hope to get tomorrow. No! He's there, mine. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So nobody can bring up a railing accusation against God's people. They will forever belong to him. Well, our friend Caleb, excuse me, Joshua, going to lead these people into the promised land. He will be their guide, director, leader in battle. Why? Because there is 
a captain of his salvation that will be leading him to be an under-captain of their salvation. And so we have Jesus. He says there in John 17, I think it's uh, five or six times, the people thou hast given me, I will do this for them. The people thou hast given me, I'll do this for them. And so the people that have been given by God the Father to God the Son, they all were paid for on the cross and shall all appear before him in glory. And the Holy Spirit has promised that in time he will take the gospel to them or bring them to the gospel. And when they hear it, he will give them the new birth and they will be like Caleb's and Joshua's and saying, God can do everything he said he would do. And the church says, yay and amen. Brother Mike.